The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You've probably heard that before. It's actually something Jesus said, and he said it in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he would die on the cross. In that garden, Jesus was facing the greatest temptation of his life, and the apostles were facing great temptation as well. And he looked at them and said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We as Christians need to learn how to feed the spirit and crucify the flesh. And it's a lifelong battle, but it's one that we can have victory in. And it's today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Jesus says, when I've been raised, I am going to rise. It's not going to end at the cross. I will go before you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away, yet I will not. Now, Peter is feeling pretty brave and pretty strong. We got to give Peter some credit. As much as we bag on Peter, and a lot of us can relate to Peter. He suffered from hoof and mouth disease, right? Constantly inserting his foot into his mouth. But Peter was the one that stepped out of the boat and walked on the water, wasn't he? I didn't see anybody else walking on water except for Jesus. Peter did have a sword, and Peter would fight for the Lord in the garden. And we'll see that in a message that's coming up where he will try to protect his Lord in the midst of all that was going on. But Peter made a declaration. Matthew records it this way, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And we've all heard the phrase, never say never. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, take heed lest you fall. Never are we more susceptible to sin and falling to it than when we are making confident declarations in our own ability. Sometimes as Christians, we think, oh, I've arrived now. <laughs> you know how many chapters of the Bible I read this morning? I read a whole book of the Bible. Yeah, it was Philemon. There's only one chapter. <laughs> and we can get a little puffed up. We say, well, other people may need to do that kind of elementary stuff, but not me. And Peter says, I'm not going to fall. And Jesus said to him, verse 30, Truly I say to you that you yourself this very night, before a cock crows twice, the the rooster crow uh, usually happened in the third watch of the night, somewhere uh, between midnight and 3 a.m. In the fourth watch of the night, it was kind of the uh, warning of the approaching dawn. And Jesus says, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. But Peter kept saying insistently, look at verse 31. This is very strong language. Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And just so we don't miss it. And they all were saying the same thing too. Yeah, 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 what he said. Yeah, we'll, we'll stand strong. And Peter made a declaration. Even if I have to die for you. And it would just be hours later that a little servant girl said to him, at the, I believe it's at the fire, you are one of them. And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know that man. A man that had just confidently said, I'll die with you, couldn't even stand before a servant girl. That's what our flesh will do. You see, if the Lord had said to you, this night you're going to deny that you know me three times, would you do a little soul searching? Would that cause you, would you say something like this? Man, I've been with Jesus three and a half years, and I know one thing about him, he always tells the truth. 
It's impossible for him to lie. So maybe what I should do is go over and pray. Maybe what I should do is go over and do some soul searching. How many, think, how many times do you think Peter, in his future life, replayed this, this exchange? You ever had one of those moments? Lord, can I get a do-over? We have those in racquetball. It's great. And in golf, if you're a golfer that takes mulligans. That's called a do-over. And sometimes when we don't have an opportunity to do a do-over, we, we regret moments in our lives. Sometimes there are major turning points in our lives, and we say, woulda, shoulda, coulda, but didn't. And I'm sure Peter replayed this moment. I'm sure he probably said, man, I was so prideful. Why didn't I listen to him? Look, do you have moments in your life that you wish you could do over? I'm sure we all do. And I'll tell you what, you have an opportunity because you have a new day ahead of you, a day filled with grace. Now, they all would make it, but Satan was demanding permission to sift Peter as wheat. Peter was in the crosshairs, and he didn't know it. See, the Lord knows a lot more about the spiritual battle than we do. We think we're prepared, and sometimes the Lord's saying, you better slow down and pray. You see, most of our failures happen way before the moment comes. I'm sure you've probably noticed. When we fail, it's because we've, prepared, we've failed to prepare. You see, usually when a moment comes, if I'm spiritually ready for that moment, I can deal with it. But if I haven't prepared myself and I get, I get hit, I get blindsided, then that's when things go really, really bad. And this would be that kind of night for all of them. It would be a night of temptation that they would fall to. Temptation is something that we're all going to face in our lives. We just need to be ready and prepared. So notice, they came to a place named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. Now, Gethsemane was a very familiar place. It's a place that Jesus went quite often with his disciples. And Gethsemane is a place you can visit today. If you decide to go with us to Israel, we'll take you to the Garden of Gethsemane. I got to preach there about 10 years ago. It was a very moving experience for me. Olive trees in this place that may date back to the time of Jesus. And Ray Vanderlaan's done, done a series where he's gone back and looked at some of the history associated with Israel. And back in the day in Israel, of course, olives were big business. They had olive oil for consecration and food purposes and stuff. And they had all these olive trees. And what they would have is something that was called an olive press. And that's what Gethsemane literally means. It's called the olive press. And they would harvest the olives and they would put them in something that's called a sea. It's a large, big basin. Almost looks like a stone cauldron. And they would put the olives in there and they would take a donkey or a beast of burden. They would put a pole through a circular stone and the, the beast of burden, the donkey, would, would, he would circle the basin and crack the olives open with the circular stone. Once the olives were cracked open, they would take something called a Gethsemane. It was literally a rectangular stone object, very, very large and heavy. And the Gethsemane would go down onto the olives and it would press the olives and squeeze olive oil down a chamber into a basin where they would catch it at the bottom. Jesus went into a place called Gethsemane, and Luke says he was praying very fervently, feeling the weight of the world on his shoulders, the sin of the world, literally, and 
as it were, something like great drops of blood were flowing to the ground. Some people believe this is metaphorical, but even if it's a metaphor, it's still a picture of him being squeezed with the Gethsemane. He's the olive, and his life's blood is going to be poured out for the sins of the world. The Gethsemane is literally coming down on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's feeling the weight of the world. And if it was literal, then he went through a process that's called hematidrosis, where you're under so much pressure that tiny capillaries under your skin begin to burst, and you sweat out of your sweat glands drops of blood. And this whole scene has been painted by the Holy Spirit. And here's the incredible nature of the scene. The whole thing started in a garden. Do you remember Adam and Eve in a garden? Only one tree they were told not to mess with. One tree. They had access to all the other trees. And in a garden, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, undoes or fixes or passes the test where the first Adam failed, the last Adam conquers in a garden. Where the first Adam did not stand between the serpent and his bride, the first Adam, the last Adam does just that. And he says, if it's me that you want, let these go their way. He stands between the serpent and his bride. And he's in the garden just looking for some support from his human friends. No longer do I call you servants, I call you friends. I've made known to you the will of God. Sit here. The idea is just stay with me. He's feeling the pressure, the weight of the cross. Not just the physical nature of the cross, which is bad enough. It's quite possible that Jesus had even seen people crucified by Rome. He was imagining the physical pain, but it was more than that. It was the sins of the world and the wrath of his father coming down on him. I don't think we can even fully fathom what he was facing. And the Bible says he took with him Peter, verse 33, and James and John. They were kind of the inner circle. And he began to be very distressed and troubled. The phrase very distressed means to be alarmed. It can speak of terror, astonishment, great distress, even has the idea of trembling. The word troubled in verse 33 is a Greek word which means distress, anguish. It's the strongest of the Greek words that could be used in the New Testament and can also speak of depression. Jesus is on the eve of the cross facing the biggest moment of his life, the biggest test of his life. And where they would fail that night, he would succeed. And where we have failed, Christ succeeds. That's why Christianity is a message of salvation by grace, through faith. This not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by work, so that no one should boast. Jesus is paying it all. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them. And he fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. Evidently, he was in such agony that he was falling on his face, casting himself to the ground. And he was saying, 36, Abba, Father. Abba is a, an Aramaic term that speaks of almost like daddy. It's a very endearing term, an intimate term. Jesus said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for thee. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what thou wilt. We see Jesus in obedient surrender, but we see something else, and this is a spiritual application I want to give to you guys. 
that when you are facing your own problems. Hey folks, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. And we'll be back to the message in just a moment. We've been doing a Sunday night service called 633. And in it, we've been looking at a subject called the dark dangers of the occult. The occult speaks of that which is hidden, secret, literally occluded, behind the veil. People are fascinated with these subjects. But God warned in both the Old and New Testament that the occult is something that is forbidden and even dangerous. We want you to have access to these resources to teach you more about the occult so you can tell people who are dabbling in it or messing with it about the hope and the love and the truth that's found in Jesus Christ. You can access this information at our website, walkintruth.com. That when you are facing your own crosses, quote, in quotes, your own Gethsemane moments, the best thing you can do is press into your Father. You see, Abba is a term in Romans 8 and Galatians 4 where we can call God Abba, Father. You are God's child. God is not against you. He is for you. He knows what you're going through. So the best thing that you can do when you're dealing with your hardest temptations is to press into him. But the thing that we tend to do is run from him when we're struggling. It's not like he doesn't know that you're struggling. So I have found something, and I'm not saying I'm successful at this all the time, but I want to just give it to you as part of your strategy. When you are dealing with the heat of temptation, press into God and just say be honest with him and just say father this thing looks very attractive very tempting to my flesh everything in me wants to go this way would you please help me would you remove this cup this struggle and he will be faithful every time every time you decide to let him in he will give you persevering grace to make it the problem is we don't always do that we try to go it alone or sometimes, frankly, we're embarrassed. Like, Lord, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to share this with you again. You ever been there before? I don't want to tell you again that I'm struggling with this thing. Okay, everybody ready? Buckle your seatbelts. This is going to be deep. Temptation, by definition, is tempting. If it weren't, we wouldn't call it temptation, Right? If it didn't look good or attractive to us, it wouldn't be tempting. We wouldn't give it a second thought. So when you're facing temptation, just understand that's what it is by definition. It's going to be something that looks good. You're going to have to say, Father, help me. In Jesus' case, he wanted to go the other way. He was saying, if there's another way, look, here's a good way to pray. All things are possible for God. Everything's possible for him. But we need to say, not my will, but what? Yours be done. This is a great prayer of faith. And by the way, it's not a weak prayer. It's not a cop out to say your will be done. I think it's a great prayer of faith to say your will be done. You may say to God, this is the way I'd like things to go, but I know your will's better than mine. And I think it's a greater prayer of faith to say, Lord, I'm gonna surrender to your will either way, Amen. I think we should pray in faith. I think we should believe God for big things. I think we should say all things are possible. When the uh, Hebrew youth are in the fire or being uh, 
warned that they're going to be thrown into the fire. They say, Nebuchadnezzar, we're not going to bow to your idol. We believe God can and will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we are not bowing to your idol. That's faith. That's faith facing the fires of life. I believe God can. I believe he will. But even if he doesn't, I'm not going to stop following him. And he came, look at verse 37. The cup is the cup of divine wrath. Uh, many uh, scriptures in the Old Testament speak of this divine wrath that Jesus had to drink. And he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, that's Peter's old name, right? Jesus renamed him to Peter, which means what? So he said, hey, Rock. Uh, no, he, said, he called him Simon here. He said, Simon, old name, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? You just made these great declarations about dying and going to prison with me. He said, keep watching and praying. One of the solutions to uh, our spiritual strategy for the coming years found in verse 38. We need to keep watching. The way to say this is keep awake, stay awake, and keep praying. That you may not come into the ESV and uh, New King James, say, enter into the NIV says, fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The temptation is not the issue. Temptations are going to arise in this fallen world. They're everywhere. The key is not to enter into the temptation. The key is not to fall to it. And another strategy is don't put yourself in unnecessary temptation. Everybody with me? So you have the leftover cookies from the holidays and you've made a declaration. I'm going to lose 10 pounds, carrots and celery <laughs> for the next two weeks, right? Well, if you leave the Christmas cookies on the counter, you have set yourself up for temptation unnecessarily. Give them to your neighbor in love. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but... If you put unnecessary temptations and then you fall to the temptation or you're walking by the cookies later and you're like, oh, Lord, help me. I said peas and carrots this morning. I was sincere. My spirit was willing. Don't do that. Don't put yourself in an unnecessary temptation. But there's going to be some temptations that just come your way. You didn't plan it. You didn't expect it. But here it is. The key is not to fall into it. It's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus himself was tempted, but he didn't give in to it. And that's where we need his help. We need to be vigilant and awake. You say, well, what do we do with the flesh, Pastor Michael? What's the biblical remedy for the flesh? Well, it's not to treat it nicely. Actually, the biblical remedy for your flesh is to crucify it. This is Galatians 5, verse 24. It says, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You're going to have to say in this coming year, yes more to the spirit and no more to the flesh. And your flesh is going to cry out. What are you doing? You totally changed things up on me. And you're just going to have to say, shut up. No. What were the commercials in the past, you know, to drugs? Just say no. Well, look, you have the Holy Spirit and you can just say no. You can just say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to ask for your strength, but I'm not going there. Romans 13, verse 14 says, make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. That means forethought and supply. Say you're going to go on a hike. 
You might stick some granola bars and water bottles in a backpack. You made provisions with forethought. But when it comes to the weakness and the sinful proclivities of your flesh, you're to give no forethought to supplying your flesh for the next indulgence. You say, no granola bars in the backpack? That's just an illustration. But you guys know what I'm talking about? You can't supply the flesh. Then you're just playing a losing game. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. By the way, verse 39 shows that it's okay to pray the same thing more than once. Paul prayed three times for a thorn in his flesh to be uh, taken away. Jesus prayed the same thing three times. If God hasn't told you to stop praying for somebody who's lost or some situation or some decision that's ahead of you, if you haven't gotten a word from the Lord to stop praying, then keep praying. The Bible says men ought always to pray and what? Not lose heart, so don't give up. Keep praying, keep seeking, keep knocking. And the Lord will open the right doors for you at the right time. And again, verse 40, he found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Is it, it is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. And he said, arise and let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Now I want to show you uh, two verses in Hebrews and we're done. Everybody turn to the book of Hebrews. You're going to have to go right towards the back of your New Testament. Pastor Chris, if you don't mind, come on up. And I'm going to share these two scriptures with you guys from the book of Hebrews about Jesus' current ministry to you. Jesus is alive and he's here to help you. Here's what it says. Hebrews 2, look at verse 9. It says, but we do see him, that's Jesus, who has been made for a little while lower than the angels, Hebrews 2.9, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting, Hebrews 2.10, for him, for whom are all things and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through suffering. Skip down to verse 14. Since then the children share in flesh and blood were human. He himself likewise also partook of the same. He became human. That through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. That would include all believers. Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Since Jesus suffered the way that he did, he's able to help you when you're tempted because when you come to Jesus, you come to a glorified 100% God, 100% man, he understands temptation. He understands what it means to go through this stuff. Go to Hebrews 4, last one. Look at verse 13. It says, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Hebrews 4, 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who has been tempted in all things, as we are yet without sin. In light of this truth, let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of what? Of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. I want to focus on a little phrase. See the phrase to help there? It is a nautical term, and it is called frapping. The nautical term, the Greek word is botheo. The nautical term is the idea of frapping. Now, I thought, I had to look it up, because I thought frapping was one of those specialty drinks at the coffee house, but <laughs> it's actually not that. That's a frappuccino. But, but what frapping is, is you take uh, thick cables or thick rope, and you run it along the hull of a ship to stabilize it in stormy waters. The idea that we get grace to help in time of need, in my experience, and I think the Bible bears this out, in most cases does not mean that God necessarily removes the storm, but he will steady your vessel in the storm. He will be with you through the fire. He will steady you so that your vessel will not break apart in the storm. How many times have you guys experienced that? How many times have you prayed about something and the storm wasn't gone, but you felt the supernatural presence of God giving you perseverance, giving you strength? That's what Jesus does for us. And we have a merciful and faithful high priest. And each time you go through something and you come to him, he doesn't do this. He doesn't say, oh my God goodness here comes michael again is he ever gonna learn that's my voice my great high priest says i know i know i understand see i often have another voice in my head saying you're a loser when are you ever going to get it together but jesus doesn't say that he says i know i understand Here's more grace. I'll keep dispensing it as much as you need. It's inexhaustible. Just keep coming, and I'll keep giving it to you. I don't mind if you come back on the same issues more than once, Michael. I know it's a struggle. I know there's times when you're weak, and what I want you to do is come to me and find all that you need in me because I understand what you're going through. Maybe for some of us in this coming year, we can replace that condemning voice with those simple words. I know. I understand. Here's more grace for you. Amen. Hey, folks, this is Pastor Michael, and I appreciate you listening to today's message. I want to tell you about the store at walkintruth.com. On the store, we have a brand new teaching up. It's on the occult. It's called The Dark Dangers of the Occult. And we have taught on the subject of demon possession, and we also have taught on the subject of Wicca or witchcraft, and there's more to come. And you need to know about this subject. You need to know what's going on with the occult, what the Bible says about it. It warns about it being forbidden. It warns that you should not mess with it. But there's also something else. We need to reach out to people in love with the truth of Jesus who've gotten involved in the occult. You can have access to this information, these resources to learn more and to become a more effective ambassador for Christ. It's all available at the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.